you have to offer employees and your sellers more. And it can't just be about the revenue number. We've siloed off so many different parts of the sales function and we've over-metriced everything. And I've often said data may be king, but it's not a god. We, we can't let the data just rule us entirely. We're dealing with human beings still. Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world, helping you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence with tips and tools you didn't get in business school. Here are your hosts, Trisha Shortino and Lisa Zeveld. Welcome to One Next Step, the practical business podcast that helps you run your business and make it stop running you so you can enjoy your work and your life. I'm Trisha Shortino, the CEO of Belay. And I'm Lisa Zeveld, the COO of Belay. Together, we're TNLZ. We've known each other since 2005 and have had the privilege of working together for almost a decade. We've grown a 100% remote business from startup to being recognized on the Inc. 5000 fastest growing list of companies for six years running. LZ and I have learned a lot along the way and have made some great friends and partners. For the one next step, we are cashing in some favors to bring you episodes filled with excellent content delivered by some talented people. And we may have a thing or two to add ourselves. The one next step is here to help you on your leadership journey. Each week, we release a new episode answering your questions about running an organization. We will always highlight one next step for you to take immediate action and include an activation guide that reinforces what you've heard today. Today, we are joined by Scott Lease. When it comes to sales, Scott is the man. Not only is he an author, and we will talk about his book, Addicted to the Process, but he is the founder of both Scott Lee's Consulting and the Surf and Sales Summit. He is a strategic advisor to companies around the world and was recently named one of the top 25 sales leaders to know. Today, Scott works with domestic and international companies to develop sales strategies and processes. Surf and Sales provides an alternative to typical sales conferences. That's right. Scott's goal with all organizations is to take them from zero to 25 million. That is no small task. So without further ado, let's listen and learn what Scott has to say about going from small to incredibly successful. Hey, Scott. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Trisha. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, Scott, tell us something super fun and interesting about yourself. You are a fascinating fellow. So what have you got to share with our podcast audience today? They should know about you. One of the things I'd like to share today is that one of my claims to fame is that I once ran with the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. No way! Yes. And I was on local TV, primarily because I was so scared that I was at the front of the line and was one of the first people off the city streets into the through the main gate into the main arena. You were furthest from the bulls. Oh, as far as humanly possible. My my heart, I swear, was going to pump out of my chest. Like never have I had so much adrenaline. I don't think ever. Wow. No. Was that on your bucket list? Like, how do you? No. no, no. How do you no, wind no. up running right. with the bulls? Yeah, I'm mean, curious. <laughs> like, how's that happen? How's that happen? This happens because you know you graduate college and you and some friends think it'd be fun to go to Europe for the summer, mm. and oh. you know, like a day or two before, you realize that you're an hour and a half train ride away from Pamplona, and it happens to be the week where they're running the bulls, 
And so you hop on a train and you stay up all night partying because there's nowhere to sleep. <laughs> and then, you know, before you know it, you're, you're running these cobblestone streets <laughs> filled with spilled beer and wine and other oh my God. liquids and whatnot. <laughs> it, it, is, it is insane. Insane. And I, I would Bats. never, ever, ever do it again. And I will be really? terrified if my, if my boys try to do it. Yeah, but what a cool oh, story. They might follow in your footsteps. <laughs> I know, I love that. See, I'm so glad we asked you that fun fact. Yeah. Who would know? <laughs> yeah. And now, in a sense, you're sort of running with the bulls in your businesses, right? I mean, there, there could be an analogy well, in there. Sure. Well, the analogy is being scared, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> when you stop working for somebody else and you, you go, you know, full bore on your, on your own. Mm-hmm. And I, I did that last October, so it's it's been a little bit over a year for me that I've been full time, you know, running my own businesses rather than working for somebody else and doing some stuff on the side. Yeah. Well, congratulations for doing that. That's a, a dream of Thank a you. lot of people, both bull running and owning your own business, and you've been able to do both successfully. So, congratulations. Thank you. Well, speaking of you being on your own, part of this consultancy is that you're really looking, you want to bring businesses from zero to $25 million in ARR, which is awesome because there are so many businesses who want to reach that sort of milestone. It's a pretty lofty goal. So like, how likely is that going to happen for a startup? Well, statistically speaking, it's extremely rare. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a very, very small number, but I've spent my whole career in this particular niche. You know, I've, I've always been the guy who's gone in when there's like two women in a garage, two guys in a garage, no, you know, no product mm-hmm. market fit, no customers. I just like building things. And I, and I like the momentum that comes with that and the milestone and the impact you can have, not just on the business, but on, on people's lives and I like having all that pressure on me as well. Like if, if we do well and I keep the lights on, great. If, we, if I do yeah. poorly, we're in big trouble. And I've just always gravitated to that. And, and not just as an operator, but also, you know, as, a, as an advisor, as a consultant, and now running my business full time, I, I primarily work with, with clients who are right in that space that we're talking about. I love that. So you're, you're the author of a book, Addicted to the Process, which you kind of just teed up beautifully with your kind of addiction on making kind of these things work. So when you think about your book and your sales process, as the book title suggests, are there certain steps? Like, can you walk us through what are the step-by-steps that you kind of talk through? Yeah, it's actually really simple. And it's born from right before I turned 23 years old, I fell gravely ill and spent four years in the hospital uh, fighting for my life. Had nine major surgeries, oh four life-saving surgeries, two emergency surgeries, got hooked on opioids, had to battle through all of that colon cancer scare, addiction, whatnot. Wow. And I recognized when I first got into sales after all that, that the sales process mirrored the recovery process. Mm. And so I modeled my sales methodology after recovery. And so it's the addiction model of selling. And it's very simple, four steps, mm-hmm. four steps. It's I get somebody to admit they have a problem, which is also maybe known as finding pain, right? Mm-hmm. The second step would be getting them to understand the value in fixing this problem. We all know, maybe you don't, but I certainly do know functioning addicts who know they have an issue, but 
don't really feel any need to fix it because it's not affecting them in any way or they don't understand the benefit of it. Mm-hmm. So I get people to understand the value of solving this problem. Then it's about creating urgency, getting somebody to recognize this is not a paper cut. This is like a severed limb that needs attention right away. And then and only then is somebody interested in your solution. Only after I know I have a problem, I understand the importance of fixing it, I I realize I need to do something about it now, does somebody kind of hit bottom and is willing to go, you know, to recovery and fix this problem. Mm -hmm. And that just all made sense to me through everything that I'd been through in my life. And I I recognized I was selling that way. I wasn't being taught. I just was intuitively doing it that way. Mm -hmm. And over time, you know, I I crystallized the the methodology and I've, I've taught that way. You know, the book was about transactional sales, but I've moved that model into mid-market enterprise sales everywhere across verticals and industries. And I, you know, it, I think it caught on a little bit because it's different. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a little bit unique. It's very simple. And if I'm being honest, like a lot of salespeople are half degenerates or used to be a half degenerate. <laughs> hey so, now, hey now, don't tell uh, my VP of revenue that. You relate to it a little bit, right? Yeah, like a lot yeah. of people fell into sales. It's not something right. somebody with PhD in, right? So the kind of like everyman-ness of the mm-hmm. analogy, I think has resonated with people. So that's it. That's, that's the process. Mm, yeah. I love that. Where do you feel like the traditional sales model, if there is one, right? I mean, you said there's kind of this, a lot of people just fall into it. So maybe there's not a model at all, but where do you think that, that people get hung up? Like, why did they resonate with this four-step model? Was it because of the simplicity or was there, is there a part of sales that's just inherently broken and we needed those things? Well, the, the part that's broken is that everybody thinks their product or service is the cat's meow and is the first thing we should all talk about. So we've all mm. heard the sales pitches or God forbid worked at a place that teaches you to sell by saying, hi, Lisa, this is Scott. How are you today? I'm with Scott Lee's Consulting and we do blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's like the standard broken sales pitch where you sure. just leave with what you do. Nobody cares what you do if they don't understand that they have any kind of problem and that they need right. to solve this problem whatsoever. So right. I, so I if think they want to know you, they need your help. That's right. That's yeah. right. And I, and I think that that's just been a little bit of a light bulb moment for, uh, for some, some folks it's like, Oh wow, I've mm-hmm. been pitching the wrong way. Like I shouldn't just start telling mm-hmm. everybody what I do. I need to ask a lot of questions here. I need to get, dialogue going. I need to learn. Everybody would call this, you know, the discovery kind of part of the, of the sales call. And it's not enough for me to just say to you, Hey, Lisa, um, you have a problem on your, your website, right? I need to ask you questions. So you realize and state for yourself, right? Oh, wow. I, Lisa, actually, you're right. I do have this issue on my site. I've been meaning to fix it. I haven't gotten around to doing it. Yeah. Right. That's way more powerful. And, and again, back to the, the addict analogy, you don't walk up to somebody who's struggling with addiction and say, hey, you have a problem. You need to go to rehab like straight away. Yeah. Because everybody right. will recoil from that. Sure. Right. Instead, you have a dialogue with them and you hopefully get them to open up and say, yes, you know, I have a problem and I, I should probably do something. about it." Yeah. No, that's that. great. So if once you have these four steps, and you've got a mom and pop, you've got 
you know, two girls in a garage, two guys in a garage who are trying to make this thing work and they're looking to scale and they need somebody to, to sell their products because they're probably not good at selling their own products. It's kind of interesting how that works. And they want to start building a sales team. Like, how do they go about doing that? Because your philosophy is that there are a lot of great products out there and a lot of great services that could make it, but they're not. And so why do you feel like that's the case? And, and does that help to build the right type of sales team around it? I think there's a couple of things that are interesting. Number one, I think people try to do things that are outside of their skill set and strength. So too many businesses try to do this on their own. Yeah. And it's just not their skill set. Like, let's say the two of you are, you know, software engineers. Well, selling is not necessarily your strong suit doesn't come naturally to you. Mm-hmm. It's not your discipline. You don't study it. Yeah. But, you know, you don't want to pay somebody to do it. So you try to do it on your own and therefore it never really gets off the ground. So that, that, that's one thing I think is that people are a bit unwilling to ask for help mm-hmm. and, and kind of outsource those things about themselves that they're weak at and focus on the things that they're really good at. You're preaching to the choir here. That's what we say all the time. <laughs> we were laughing before the show because, you know, I can barely operate a computer. Like, that's not my strong. Right? So I, know, I know the things that I need help at. You, you can't scale unless you get what's in your head that is working onto paper. And when you get it on paper, now you can codify it and turn it into a process that is repeatable and I can give it to others. So if the three of us are, are, you know, have some product, the three of us might be super passionate about it. We know how to sell it. You know, we're charismatic. We know every like whiz bang piece of functionality that there is, but we try to hire people and we're just like, Oh, Hey, uh, Kevin, you know, here, this is the product, like go sell it. And we leave them on their own. And Kevin's over here. Like, well, wait a second. Like, what do I say? How do I say it? What happens if I get this objection? I don't know anything about the competitors. So what you've got to do is you've got to get all these things that are sort of like tribal knowledge in your head onto paper, then simplify it a little bit because no one is probably ever going to know as much about the business nor be as passionate as you. So you can't try to teach people to do exactly what you do. You've got to find a, a more simplistic way to explain it and document it. And if that process is mm-hmm. successful, now you're onto something and it can scale. Codify it. I love that. That's great. Yeah, that's a great word. Yeah. And I think it's so important. And so, you know, sales in every aspect of a business is um, putting things on paper so they can be replicatable in all areas of your business. I mean, we at Belay, we practice that in sales and in marketing and in account management and finance. It's kind of like it's good business practice to grow businesses, to have things orderly processed out so that people can easily understand what the job is. They're, they're clear on what they're supposed to do. Um, and they kind of have their marching orders in front of them. So I love that. Um, so many don't do it though. That's the strange part, mm-hmm. right? Isn't it crazy? Yeah. They're going to start now. They're going to listen to this podcast yeah. and they're going to go <laughs> grab pen and paper yes. soon as they're done. And they're going to start writing it all down. Well, they should, because like you, you can get away with a certain, I mean, you might be able to get to one or 2 million, for example, without doing it this particular way. And, and you sort of, your, your views and beliefs become skewed. Like you're there, you're winning in spite of yourself in doing it that way. But if you really want to take it to the next level, you've got to 
put it down on paper and codify these things. That that's how businesses really truly scale to you know a special level of you know, 5 million, 10 million, 25 million and, and beyond. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like delivering the same quality each and every time. The, the example that I use, good or bad, is like I can have a Big Mac here in America or I can be in Paris, France and have the same Big Mac, right? It, you know, because they have found a way to create it exactly the same, no matter where you are in the world. And I think that that's what our clients expect of us and whatever product and service we offer is that they can go talk to their friend and they're getting the same thing every single time. I think that's really important. And truthfully, that's why here at Belay, that's why we write everything down is so that everybody's getting that same service. Well, y'all are yeah. way ahead of the game compared to most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was teasing to say like, it's like building, I, I always think of it as building a well-oiled machine. You know, if you put the processes in place, it starts functioning on its own mm -hmm. so yeah. that you as the leader can be free to then go do the next right. big thing you need to do, like set it in motion, mm -hmm. create the process, set it, and then move on to the next big thing. But it, things aren't going to function well on their own if they don't have a system. So anyway, I love that. I love that. And I'm going to totally switch gears right here because one of the things you talk about, and I find this fascinating, and so I want to hear your thoughts on it, is that a sales leaderboard is outdated and narrow-minded. So talk to me about sales leaderboards being old school. It's just the coin-operated mentality mm. that, that is dying off and, and should probably be killed off where salespeople are just thought of as coin-operated and, and money-motivated and competitive only. So mm. the leaderboard in and of itself might have been enough in 2010 or 2000 or 1990 or whatever. That was enough. But today's modern seller cares about a lot more and a lot different things. It's not that they don't care about winning or they're not competitive. There's a lot more emphasis, though, on, on learning and growth and development and opportunity. There's a hyper focus on speed, speed of execution, speed of growth and development, speed of their career path. So you, you have to offer employees and your sellers more. And it can't just be about the revenue number or the meetings booked number. There's all these different functions now. We've siloed mm -hmm. off so many different parts of the sales function and we've overmetriced everything. And I've, I've often said, you know, data may be king, but it's not a god. We, we can't let the data just rule us entirely. We have to, we're dealing with human beings still, you know, and, yeah. until AI can replicate emotion and understand feeling on sales calls, mm -hmm. we, we're still needed. And so in, in leading a sales organization, I need to be able to understand Trisha's situation in her life, not just professional life, but also personal life, because maybe her metrics are down because she's dealing with, you know, family issues, right? How'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm afraid to say what I was going to say about Lisa. I, don't want to say what I, I mean, we are in a pandemic. Of course, there's family issues. Yeah. There's nuance that we have to understand because you can't just as a sales leader go, you know, smash your team upside the head and be like, you need to make more calls. You need to do this. You need to close more deals. Like, no, you need to understand a better 360 degree view of the person and the circumstances mm -hmm. and then coach to those particular things. So that, that's what I mean when I talk about the leaderboard being dead. Like 
right. a leaderboard standalone is not enough anymore. Yeah. I think that goes into also helping to create a really healthy culture within yeah. an organization. And I, I, I think when I view it that way is it's, it sounds like a good attention grabber to say the leaderboard is old and it's narrow minded, but really what you're saying is it's a great tool. Just don't let the tool rule your organization. You have to have, you know, I view individuals, our team members as holistic beings. So they're going to have areas where they're going to need coached up. I have my own flaws and my own gaps. And, you know, I'm looking to fill those. And it's really finding somebody who believes in your organization and wants to work hard, you know, obviously is goal driven. But at the same time, you're actually showing up and leading them. Yeah. And the trick is to do that again, back to scale. The trick is to do it at scale. Yeah. It, it's it's really easy for me to lead and behave that way with five people on my team. Sure. It's a whole other beast entirely when I have 50 or 250 scattered across four or five states like I've had before. Yeah. That yeah. That is a whole different animal. And, and what you're trying to do is lead the way you're talking about, Lisa, just no matter the size of your organization. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's what's tricky. And that trips people up sometimes and they get stuck on, well, let's just use the leaderboard or let's just use the mm-hmm. metrics because I don't have time to understand the personalities of all 50 people on my team. Yeah. Do you also think that that goes into who you're hiring? So is there a certain like it factor in who you're hiring as well so that you don't have as maybe as much coaching when you're looking at having a team of 200 people? Oh, you think you got, I think you got to be careful because if you if you end up optimizing for hiring people who don't need a lot of coaching, you're, you're you end up optimizing for people who think they know how to do everything already on their own, hmm. and they don't ask for help, and they're not open to new and fresh ideas, right? So hmm. I think rather than optimizing for that, you're optimizing for curiosity, for people who are ambitious and looking to grow people who are charismatic and that's a hard thing to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of pinpoint, but like, yeah. is it interesting? Am, am I interested in having a conversation with Lisa during this interview process? Am I looking at my watch or paying attention to my emails while I'm on this zoom interview with Trisha, or am I focused on the conversation? Can somebody tell good and compelling stories? Can they ask good meaningful questions with intent that are not just checking a box. Like, can I see and imagine why they're asking me this particular question? Can I figure out where they're going? Those are the things that I'm trying to to pinpoint and optimize for in the hiring process. That is all part of the it factor to me. a mutual friend, right? And, uh, and so I reached out to him this morning, Casey Graham of Gravy. And I just said, Hey, I know you work with Scott. And uh, we're having him on the show today. And so like, what would you ask? And he said, you know, definitely ask him, what is the one thing that you've done in sales leadership that you aren't proud of? And I thought, I mean, it was like 9am. He was pretty deep at 9am. But I, I think that's a good question to ask, because you've done a lot. So just just one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you one. It's a, it's a bad one. So I have spent my whole career as an operator when I've been full-time VP of sales, staying each place about two and a half to three years. That, that's my thing. Like I go get in I figure it out. It gets to three to 500 people. And I'm like, 
blah, red tape, I can't, I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. My mistake many times over, sadly, is I didn't do a good enough job of putting the right person in place to take over for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a good secession plan, if that makes sure, sense. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. And my ego was such that I took a little bit of pride in watching the organization struggle after my departure. Without you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in reality, I cost myself millions of dollars because the valuation of these companies, let's say, was, you know, 100 when I left. And as it dips to 95, 90, 80, 50, what have you, I'm cannibalizing myself. And, and what, a, what a stupid, stupid thing that was. And finally, through experience, I, I learned to set myself up for the future by bringing in my replacement. And so I lobbied really, really hard for somebody who's as good, if not better than me, to come work alongside me for six, seven, eight months, as I already knew that I was going to start to transition out. And now when I walk away, the company is in very capable hands and I have no pride of ownership. I'm like, yep, so-and-so's got it, right? And now I watch the company to continue to grow. And so, you know, if one person who's in a leadership role can hear that story and not make mm-hmm. the same mistake as me, that, I, that, that would make me feel good. That, that was, I made the mistake multiple times. I'm not proud to say it, but I, I did fix it at least. Yeah. Well, I love that. And, you know, we are the most practical business podcast in the world, self-proclaimed. Uh, <laughs> and I love how you just tied that all in such a bow. Like you gave our listeners one thing that they could do right now in that secession planning, making sure that if they're leaving an organization for whatever reason, if they're the solopreneur and they're owning it and want to sell it someday, make sure you've got somebody there. Or if you're leading a team of people make sure that you are finding your replacement. Because I I also like how you talked about money, you know, like it actually hurt you in the long run because of these valuations Mm -hmm. and the reputation, I would imagine, right? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, you, if somebody looks and glances at your resume and they recognize, you know, brand one, two, and three as all having big, huge, successful outcomes, that's a boost to whatever you do in the future. Whereas if they look back at your resume and they see brand one, two, and three, and they're like, ah, that was okay. Or, oh, that was nothing. That's going to have less of an impact, right? And that, sure. that longer term vision was something that was lacking when I was younger. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Scott, you've given us so many good nuggets today. Thank you so much for joining our show. I love talking with you and I know that our listeners have enjoyed it as well. So thanks so much. Oh, you're both welcome. Thank you for having me. Wow, Scott was such a fun guest today. I love talking with him. So I'm curious, Tricia, what is your takeaway from the conversation? Yes, he was so fun. I mean, running with the bulls and all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating fellow. Um, it's such an honor to talk to him today. You know, there were so many good nuggets. My favorite was his, um, I'm going to misquote him, but he said, metrics are king, but they are not God. Yeah. And wow, isn't that so true? We can really get lost in the numbers and forget the human element of everything. So I like how we kind of related that back to the leaderboard mentality being very narrow and it just being very one-sided. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really, you know, that really stuck with me, that quote. I actually wrote it down. Nice. <laughs> so we, we are very focused on metrics. I'm a very metrics-driven person. I love mm-hmm. data. But it's a great reminder that it's not 
all the things. It's a, it's right. a great measure, but it, mm-hmm. it's not God. So that, yeah. that was really great for me. What about yeah. you, Elsie? Yeah, I mean, kind of when I transitioned into that question about, you know, what does it look like for the it person in sales, right? Mm-hmm. And we were talking about scalability and do you want to find somebody that perhaps, you know, there's not as much coaching. And and he corrected me, you know, pretty quick and he's like, "No, no, no, that's not what I'm saying because you do want to find somebody who is coachable, you know, somebody um, who is curious, somebody who is creative, you know, perhaps in, in my words, somebody who's a little scrappy, you know, like you really want to understand that individual because the leaderboard is going to be a tool to help coaching them. But if they're not coachable and if they already come in and they think they know it all and they don't like to receive that kind of feedback, it doesn't matter how good they are. They're not going to make a great team member, and ultimately that's going to hurt your culture. So I think that that's a a good takeaway for anybody listening today, not just for their sales team, but so many other teams are also metric-driven. I mean, here at Belay, we've got our talent acquisition team. That's very Mm -hmm. metric-driven. Obviously, finance is metric-driven. I mean, every single department. We have KPIs for every single person here. Everybody. Everybody. (laughs) So it's like when you're going to hire that next person using the data, but also making sure that they're curious and coachable and creative and are going to hold on to your mission, I think is super important because especially for salespeople, so often we let them lead with the number, the amount of sales, you know, Hey, I brought in, you know, $20 million in sales. And you're thinking, Oh, can they do that for my organization? But they might not be, you know? So yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. Well, you guys know what time it is. It is time for the one next step. As the most practical business podcast, we want to make sure taking action isn't overwhelming to you. So with each episode, we're going to offer you one next step to propel you and your business forward. And today's next step is to download our activation guide, Scott Lease on Sales, which is a curated list of Scott's best articles on sales strategy, process, people, infrastructure, and so much more. Man, that's going to be a great resource. We knew there'd be no way we could learn everything Scott has to teach us about sales on just one podcast, so we rounded up some of his best stuff so you can continue to go deeper. We believe this will help you develop processes for building and leading your own team as a small business. Excellent. I'm so excited for this download. To download it now, text the phrase one next step to 31996 or visit onenextsteppodcast.com. When you request today's guide, you're also going to receive a summary of today's episode, which will include key quotes and takeaways and links to resources mentioned in the episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of One Next Step. We hope you enjoyed what you are hearing from us. And now we want to hear from you. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. We created this podcast to help you lead your team and grow your business. So we read every one of them. And as we kick off the new year, we'd like to make sure that the podcast is helpful to you. So submit your business questions so one of us or a future guest can answer it during an upcoming episode by calling the One Next Step listener line at 404-480-3003. That's 404-480-3003. Until next time, own your journey. It's your life and your business. It's up to you to create the life and organization you want. 
Join us next week for more practical tips and actionable tools to advance your business one step at a time. Start by making today count. Thanks for listening to One Next Step. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Then join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com.